Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. From WDEV in Waterbury, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint, the public affairs show where we try to explain Vermont and the nation and understand our politics, culture, and democracy yeah, it's me, Kevin Ellis, in the chair and at the mic. Little substitute teaching for Brad Furlan today. I must say, kind of, kind of shook up the troops here in the newsroom and the studio. They weren't, weren't, they were a little surprised that I was coming in. So, uh, you know, we had to clean up things a little bit. Uh, we <laughs> welcome to everyone listening on the radio and online at WDEVradio.com and on the free WDEV radio app. Today, July 24th, and we continue July uh, 24th, and it's Monday, and we continue to focus on the flooding that has taken over so many lives, and we continue the theme of what's next. We're going to start talking about the future on this show. Once we get the mess cleaned up, the question becomes, how do you build for the future? Uh, We have two guests for you today who are thinking about this uh, almost full-time, and I mean every waking hour. Uh, the first is Tim Heaney. He's a Montpelier property owner, landlord, real estate agent, and broker, and Montpelier city councilman. In each of those roles, he's been drinking from the fire hose for the last two weeks. We will get the latest on Montpelier from him as he faces cleanup in multiple buildings across many tenant businesses. And Julie Moore will join us at 10. She's the Secretary of the Agency of Natural Resources, a.k.a. the Chief Environmental Official for Vermont. She is the governor's top environmental advisor. She is an expert in watershed management and flooding from her engineering background. We'll get into the details of how this happened, why, and what we can do next, not just in Vermont, but across the state. Uh, it is possible that at 10.30 we will be joined by uh, an official from FEMA. Um, I have not uh, yet confirmed that. Uh, as always, we'll take your calls, as we have for the past few shows. We want to take your calls to hear your stories about the flooding and answer any questions you might have. This has been a painful two weeks. So if you have questions for Julie Moore uh, or Tim Heaney, uh, but especially Julie, who's the chief environmental official for Governor Scott. Just get them ready, and uh, she'll be here at 10 o'clock. The number to call is 244-1777. We welcome your calls and stories. You can also email me at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. A lot to get to today. Uh, let's do some housekeeping. Uh there is a FEMA flood forum at the Barry Opera House at 5 o'clock today. You are welcome to go there in person. FEMA officials will be there uh, to answer your questions. Okay. Now, there is a, a uh, uh, you can call into that as well, but I don't have, I, I, we have not yet received the way for you to call into that. Uh, Undoubtedly, go to the City of Barry webpage, and you ought to be able to figure that out quite easily. Um, now, on Wednesday uh, at, uh, let's see, 10.30, hold on, uh, 
uh, sorry, on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., uh, you can Google this too, Bernie Sanders, uh, Peter, Senator Peter Welch, and Congresswoman Becca Ballant are going to hold a telephone town hall. They'll have a female, FEMA official with them, and uh, you can... You can get your questions answered as well. Some more news. Uh, the governor announced, you may have heard about it, a $20 million small business grant program to tide businesses over in this early, go- uh, early going in flood recovery. State Treasurer Mike Pichak said $11 million in taxes was advanced to the hardest hit towns. Uh, the state has paused an $80 million local investment program in any in, in case that money is needed, which it will be. Tax deadlines have been extended. Uh, if you had taxes due in, oh, in July or September, those deadlines, most of those deadlines, uh, corporate income, corporate taxes, business taxes, sales and use, rooms and meals, and payroll withholding, they've been extended by the tax department to November 15th, uh, including personal income tax payments as well. The governor continues to urge people to report their damage by calling 211 or going to vermont211.org. Um, for garbage management, go to vermont.gov slash flood slash debris for more. And I know that uh, Caledonia and Orange Counties have been added to the federal disaster uh, re- uh, declaration by President Biden. Um, I was I was at a party this weekend. Uh, to celebrate a birthday. There was a band and many happy faces, most from central Vermont. When I introduced myself, though, a look of concern came over strangers' faces when I said where I'm from. Are you all right? How did you fare? I reply, I'm fine. Three feet of water in my dirt basement and a sump pump that worked okay, so I'm fine. But then the inevitable discussion of downtown Montpelier. And as we fall into a discussion about pain and the garbage and the cleanup, we move to the future. There's a journalist with expertise in environmental issues, a business owner, a lawyer, all well-connected, knowledgeable, and deeply caring about central Vermont. And the following consensus developed. The river will go where it wants. We humans have been building in places where we should live for hundreds of, where we should not live for hundreds of years. We have been straightening out rivers for a very long time, so they move faster and rise higher. Basements are off-limits now in downtown Montpelier. Mechanicals need to go way above ground. That's the easy part. And then we moved on to the big issues. Should we move downtown Montpelier, actually? A lot of fair, fair, highly number of people were talking about that. Should the Elks Club or the College of Fine Arts play a role in future development? What about the stretch of Barry Street from Sarducci's to Caledonia Spirits along the bike path? The Hunger Mountain Co-op was untouched by the flood. Same with Cal Spirits, which hosted a cool party for one of our business owners to sell slightly damaged clothes and home goods last week. What about the river, the main artery of the Winooski and its north branch, which has a total of 14 dams on it? We are reckoning with what humans have wrought in our environment for hundreds of years. We used rivers to generate power, transport goods, and dump our garbage and sewage, to tell you the truth. And now the bill is coming due. The legislature passed a multi-million dollar bill this year to funnel housing to downtowns. Is this still a good idea? 
it is pretty clear we have a lot of thinking, planning, and designing to do. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. The Dutch have been managing water for generations, pumping it, storing it, using it, and they live below sea level and look at the raging North Sea. I asked last week and on social media whether the governor should appoint a special commission to examine and make recommendations on how to deal with climate change and flooding now that it's knocking on our door. Commissions are tricky things. They can be great and historic, Act 250, for example, or a waste of time. Governors often don't like them because they can take the political initiative away from that office, but they can also take the political heat off of politicians. So that, and that's where sometimes hard questions can be asked and answered. One more question that came up at the birthday party. Can our political system in Vermont handle the burden of how to deal with the coming weather, the cleanup we are facing, and the imperative to somehow live differently in the next generation? That's a question we'll be discussing on this show going forward. We'll be right back. We're back. It's Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's on WDEV, and we're talking about the flood as always, and the theme is what's next. Um, that, that, that question is facing everyone, and I could think of no better guest to have on to talk about this than, uh, than Tim Heaney, uh, who is a realtor. He is a property owner. He is a city councilor and lifelong resident of Montpelier who has uh, seen it all up close and personal. Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Kevin. So, uh, first of all, uh, I don't think we can uh, enough uh, give you our sort of condolences and best wishes. I know this has been a really tough time for you and all the people you deal with. So, uh, I, I saw you out, out back of Bear Pond Books uh when uh, when things were at their worst, and uh, you were dirtier than me, but um, I suspect you've cleaned up a little bit since then. Yes, thank you. Very <laughs> uh, so, Tim, as I said, you're not just a, a, a property owner and a landlord. You're a city councilor, so you've got a lot of sort of big, complicated decisions coming up. Can we go back to the beginning uh, of two weeks ago and – talk to our listeners about what exactly happened to the businesses that you uh, are a landlord to and the businesses that are your neighbors. How bad was it? It was worse than any floods I've encountered in my lifetime in Montpelier. Um, I was here for 1992, which was the previous record, um, and the levels of water were significantly higher. So, uh, basically, all of our Main Street businesses, it, you know, in 79 Main, which is uh, Bohemian and Zutano and Vermont Dog Eats um, and Incognito, they all get wiped out. And then the entire Blanchard Block, uh, Montpelier Blanchard Block, which is Bear Pond Books, you know, all the way down to the fire station, um, there were five businesses there. Uh, we did have one vacancy because Splash had literally just moved less than two weeks before this flood into her new space, which was flooded. So for that group, um, just absolutely wiped out. Uh, some got a few things up, but most didn't have a chance. So, uh, Tim, you, I guess step one was to empty out basements, 
get as much stuff out the door as you can. And as we see every day, much of that debris and garbage is still in the street. I see that the, that an out of state firm has been brought in. Can you give us details about who that is? And was it the governor that got them to come in? And I, I, I haven't heard a question about why Casella hasn't been able to do this. I assume that they're just because they're at capacity and we had to bring in somebody sort of bigger with bigger trucks. Is that right? That's my understanding as well. Yeah. And, and this is, it's interesting because I, when they arrived, I thought these are people that must follow storm to storm around the country, uh, which probably fits the theme of your show. But, uh, they're not. They're timber companies. These are all logging rigs. Uh, yeah. But I, I think it has, it, my understanding is that it was coordinated by the state. So maybe Julie knows more about that and than I do. Um, okay. And, and I, and then there was that glitch last week where my understanding was they, started to arrive to pick up, and FEMA put us on hold for a couple of days because they wanted everything sorted into six categories, which was kind of way late for those instructions. Um, and I think ultimately they relented and then were able to start picking up. So there was a delay uh, for that purpose in, in last week. So it seems to me that now that basements, for the most part, um, are cleaned out. And the first floors are cleaned out. Yes. Um, what's next for you? Is it all about now insurance and about dehumidifying and about, uh, uh, you know, applying for, uh, grants? Uh, you know, what do you as a landlord face right now? I mean, right now we are in the fans and dehumidify phase. We still have a few more basements we're trying to clean out. Um, and physically, there's so much debris outside these stores, we can't bring much more out, out to the pile. So as soon as the piles move, we'll finish clearing them out. But the, the step is really drying things out. Things are drying really well because of this weather. Um, and, you know, we'll be able to start putting some stores back together this week. Because um, we're already seeing the moisture meters, the, the insurance people all have them. They go in and check every day or multiple times a day. And you can watch the moisture levels in these spaces dropping. Um, so as soon as that's done, I, we have to just be prepared to start bringing in contractors to help us reconstruct. Because we've pulled out floors in most of the stores. We've taken walls up about four feet. Um, they're going to be a total redo for those interior spaces to, to get these businesses to be able to open. Uh, Tim, I... I, I, I hate to be a critic, but it seems to me that two weeks to get the garbage picked up is too long. Uh, and I'm starting to see this on social media and in conversations on the street. And I, look, I know there's stuff that I don't know, and I know it's really hard for the city and really hard for the governor. Uh, but is it a little frustrating to have the garbage still in the street in front of your buildings? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's becoming foul um, and sadly – it's encouraging some other behaviors with other people that are starting to pile onto it. So we've got to end it and get it out of here. Um, I'm not sure why it's taken so long, Kevin, because I've, I've been a little disconnected from my city council world the last two weeks, uh, other than following on email. Uh, so I don't know all the ins and outs of this removal process. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I've noticed. Yeah, I've noticed. It's 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 easy to throw your candy wrapper on the on the pile and. Uh, Obviously, we shouldn't be doing that. I'm glad to see that the streets are closed so that uh, you and others have the space to operate. Um, what, 
it seems that you're you've been a landlord in Montpelier for a long, long time, and you sort of have this process kind of down. But there's a, a lot of other businesses in town that that are way behind. I saw that Onion River uh, Outdoors, their basement is still not pumped out. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a long way to go here just to get it pumped out, right? Yeah, there's all different levels of the way people responded to this. Um, we've been really fortunate, you know, between our team that we had in place, these guys have just, the guys and women, they've just broken their backs for us, yet carrying muck out of basements and everything else. Um, and then I did engage three of the professional out-of-state groups to come in and help me because we just needed a, a even a greater army than all the volunteers and all the guys we had, and, and they have the right equipment. So I know some property owners have not brought those teams in. Um, I'm sure they're worried about expense, and some may not have flood insurance. We do. Um, our flood insurance won't cover everything, but I'm at least able to get the property stabilized so we can start talking about putting it back together. Um, okay, and uh, I'm... I'm <laughs> I'm amazed at how fast you got this done, uh, and and I just you've got businesses that that might be up and running in a couple of weeks. A couple. There will be others that will be much much longer. But every decision I've made, Kevin, I've tried to make with the thought of how can I help these businesses get reopened and, and reestablished. I know we'll lose someone in this; it's inevitable. But the goal is to minimize how many can't make it through. Uh, what did you what do you think about now the future future um you know i i as i said early in the show i was at this birthday party and everyone's talking about uh you know the 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 empty granite shed uh next to the hunger mountain co-op that's been renovated and you could start to develop that whole bike path area as a kind of a, a, a not a new downtown but kind of an ancillary downtown i mean let's talk about downtown what uh what is the uh, my real fear is that we somehow lose downtown because business owners are not going to want to come there if this is going to happen every five years right yeah i know it is and the conversations are intriguing it's certainly adds a new level of depth to the conversation about master planning for Montpelier, doesn't it? Yeah, right. But uh, but no, I think, you know, if I had to pick this week, um, I think talking about a higher level location to start some things happening makes a lot of sense. So to me, the college or something at that kind of a plane is certainly more favorable than, than trying to relocate along the river. Right. Uh, you're, you're on the city council. Uh, I know you haven't been meeting, but what's in the back of your mind about when the city council does meet? How do you how do you attack this problem? I mean, they're already meeting. There was a meeting. Or just they're trying to get ready for this, the meeting Wednesday night. We have a regular city council meeting in two nights. Um, I think probably different steps. I think. First step, so there's the conversation, and it's going through the, the Montpelier Planning Office with, with Michelle uh, Savory, the building inspector, and trying to figure out how to, um, as people put things back together, make sure they're doing it right, get them inspected, get people geared up to know that if they get an approval right now um, to get their building just operating. Because, like, we have buildings with tenants upstairs who are living with almost two weeks with no power. You know, we're getting the power reactivated and getting folks living. But... 
the approval is given with a condition that we're going to have to move the main electrical services up and above flood level. Um, those will be big operations, and each building is a separate challenge. So I think we have to approach it that way and get working on it. Um, but that'll take time. That's not going to happen in two weeks or a month. You, you can't even get the electrical hardware and, and getting electricians to do, to line it up. It will take at least a couple of years, I would think, to reasonably do that. Heating systems are a whole different animal. Right. Um, and we also need to discuss that. I see that's going to need a longer window of time to really resolve. Um, but I firmly believe we need to. We have been doing it anyway, gradually on our own over time. So... Um, I'm prepared to do it, but it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of money, and it's also in line with current energy issues in the world. We we need to do it. Um, it's just it's making sure we have the resources and 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 do it in a thoughtful manner. Yeah, I, I've been uh, I've been amazed at the grit and determination of the downtown business owners. Uh, it, it, you, I mean, I was talking to the owner of the Savoy. Uh, the drawing board, Bear Pond, I mean, Bailey Road, all of them, they're, they're, they say they're coming back, which I, I must say kind of surprised me. In the minute we have left, uh, does, are you surprised by the grit you're seeing out there? I don't know if I'm surprised. I, it's definitely heartening that, and it's all these folks and everybody else who's come in to help. If we got a minute, I also want to plug the, you know, the Montpelier Strong Fund with Montpelier Foundation and Montpelier Alive. I mean, that is just an incredible program with people supporting the community now with their money and with their resources after donating their time. And um, it, it's 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 so amazing. So if anyone's looking at supporting downtown businesses and helping out, the Montpelier Foundation site is a great place to go. It's MontpelierFoundation.org. Yeah, we're, we're, we list, uh, all of the ways to donate at the top of the show and we'll do it again at the end. Um, Tim, it strikes me as that, uh, who is gonna pay for all this is a big issue that we're gonna, uh, have to take on. Can you, can you describe for us how you're gonna approach this? You know, you're the landlord, you have tenant businesses. Uh, you're going to pay for some of this. Uh, insurance will pay for some of it. Uh, but the, how do you break it down between you and the business and insurance? And Or have you not even thought about that yet? I'm thinking about it. It's just horribly hard to quantify when we're right in it and the way things have rolled. But our approach with all our tenants is um, we're restoring the structure, the four walls, you know, the floors, um, electrical systems, all those pieces, those are on us as the property owner. Everything they have inside their space is theirs. So all their fit-up, all their inventory and systems, and um, so, you know, whatever separate decor they have for their business or, or image stuff, that's all up to them. So that's how we're breaking it. Um, and basically from a money point of view, um, our flood insurance, fortunately we carried. You know, I remember after the flood in 92 when my mom and dad walked back, from the bank, because um, they didn't have flood insurance then. I always felt that was a turning point in my dad's life. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, so what we're going to, so we've had flood insurance since 92. The amounts aren't what we need to cover this one. I, I don't know the, the range of our loss other than numbers floating in my head. But just this one small piece of Montpelier, I know I'm in at least the, approaching the $2 million range. Um, we will probably... Um, I know. I met. We had a party for my mom's birthday yesterday, 
you know, a little talk about this, but uh, I think what we will do is for our part after the insurances, we will probably take a mortgage and, and cover uh, the difference that we have to do to get things back. Okay. Now that is shocking to me. Um, I mean, that means you got to go to the bank and go into debt uh, yep. to, to keep your operation going. And let me ask you a personal question. Why bother? Why not just go to Florida? What's the point? It's always a great question. I don't know. It's who we are. I mean, this town is, it's, it's us. We're all part of it. Um, but I think, you know, we've been trying to do positive steps to mitigate in all the properties over the years. I mean, Donna and I did our house over. We, we're actually flooded out in our own home right now, and we're not living there. Um, but all the steps we took seven years ago when we renovated made a huge difference in this outcome. So we'll be, you know, we moved our boilers up above flood level, all our electrical services up. Um, I think that's what we've got to be doing with these old buildings if we want to keep the historic downtown. Some of them, it may be appropriate to fill some basements in. Um, others, that won't be an option. Uh, there's a lot of physical things that can be done to make these properties work. And clearly everything new that's been built, I mean, everybody's noticed it, and I think it's a, it's a good comment. All the new structures, everything was built more recently to meet flood code, they didn't flood. I mean, those, as much as some of us may have groused about base flood elevation and having to be two feet above it, um, I, I, looking back, I think that's a wonderful policy, and we should everything new should has to be at that level. Yeah, I noticed the transit center, for example, uh, yeah. That did not flood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, everything that, yeah, all the new ones. It, it, city Center was built back in the 80s when the standard was only one foot above base flood elevation. City Center did get through it. Not by a lot. But, right. <laughs> um, but they did. Uh, I'm shocked that you're out of your house, and I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I hope everything is okay. Uh, my, my yeah. personally, we're fine. My basement in East Montpelier flooded three feet, but and the sump pump did not keep up. But uh, I'm going to run down to Bob's Hardware and in in, in uh, Barry and get a, a, a one or two three horsepower sump pump instead of a third horsepower for the next mm-hmm. time around. Um, what else are you looking at? in your properties in terms of making them flood proof for the next time? I mean, if we can get initially electrical systems, heating systems, all that moved up, have no more oil tanks. And, you know, I've got 12 oil tanks that I've still been working with our fuel dealer and with an environmental company. They're not, they're not dangerous right now. They're just half full of water. Um, so they're intact, but we will have an environmental firm come in to pump all those out uh, in the next week. Um, so I think getting all those pieces out um, and then not putting things back, you know, we can't allow anyone to – all this stuff coming out, just we can't let tenants or anyone use these basements. They've got to be empty. Yeah. Um, and, and that's critical. That seems and to I be – that, that seems yeah. to be the one big consensus coming out of this. Yeah. And then the, the last piece is I think with the city, you know, as we work through that, my plea with the meeting Wednesday – when we get to the topic, is simply going to be, you know, our approach from the city right now that I'm seeing, and I, they've done a, you know, city staff have just been incredible. I think they've all worked around the clock. Um, but I, I think from a policy point of view, we're kind of taking a regulatory approach in some ways, trying to encourage people to have to get building permits now um, as they update and fix things from this flood. Um, I just really can't add another layer of filling out a whole bunch of permit forms to my schedule right now. I can't imagine it. 
I'd much rather see the city's focus on pursuing grant monies, looking at ways we can fund flood proofing and improvements to move to the future and not getting in some giant paper push um, so they can document everything that happened. It, it just doesn't. But so that's kind of going to be my approach Wednesday, I think. Uh, my yeah. Direction for this. Yeah, it's it's I, I, the, on day one when I was standing in the water at Bear Pond Books basement, I, I had the same feeling like the last thing these people can do is fill out a form for FEMA or the SBA or or a bank. I mean, they just they're just not up to it, and uh, they need cash immediately, and they're getting it. They're going to get it from the governor's twenty million dollar fund and from the Montpelier Alive uh, Foundation. Uh, fund and elsewhere, uh, mm-hmm. they don't need loans. That the, the you know the small business owners can't go to the bank and get more loans. It just came out of uh, COVID for for heaven's sakes. Exactly, and you've got two categories here. You've got the small business owners, and then you've got the property owners. And a lot of the relief, as it should, is going to the business owners. But we do need to also focus on how to help people that own these properties to to, to make them better. Right. Right. Tim, do we need a special gubernatorial commission uh, to look at this? And I mean, because this isn't just Montpelier. This is Wilmington, Dover. This is all up and down the state. And uh, Johnson is still uh, just a wreck. Do we we need to really kind of look at the way we live? Uh, I mean, we we live next to these rivers because there was power to be had and there was water and there was all sorts of reasons uh do we have to rethink it all now and and, and i guess is is our governmental structure city council the legislature etc are we up to it i think we have to be yeah i mean there's just no question but, but i also think it, as you pointed out earlier that we've got to catch it while it's on the top of people's minds because as humans we will all move to the next thing that happens and this will get shelved, and I still think of Randall Street and Waterbury after Irene when everybody was saying nobody will ever be able to sell a house on Randall Street again. It was so devastated. And then I've watched the market come back, and there have been some incredible sales, and it's back like nothing ever happened until two weeks ago. But just within the few years between Irene and now, everybody forgot, you know, or at least it wasn't top of mind, and they just went back to normal, and nothing changed. Um, well, we we just the legislature just passed a multi-million dollar housing bill encouraging people uh, encouraging all of us to build and move and live downtown. Mm-hmm. And and I, I that seems somewhat crazy to me right now. We seem to have forgotten the lessons of 92 and Irene, but I mean, we, we, we have been, that's been government policy now for a long time is to funnel business to our historic downtowns. Maybe we need to take another look at that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I do look at like the transit center in Montpelier, some of the newer buildings that were built to standards. They're high and dry. Yeah. Um, and, and they're downtown. I mean, you, you know, and also just, I'm sure you saw it, Kevin, within downtown. It, when you have a flood, there's nothing that emphasizes more than how undulating the topography of Montpelier is, it's not flat. You know, you can be up by Shaw's near that Main Street Bridge, and it's almost 10 feet in elevation higher than the intersection of Main and the State by Bohemian Bakery and TD Bank. Yeah. Um, so within that, too, I you know, I think we can be careful about where we build and what we do. Yeah. 
Right. So yeah, you, you, you're right. You're going to at that, at that intersection of state and Maine, that's a, a low point and you're going to have to do some special work there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tim, the, yeah, let's emphasize, uh, one of the, one of the ways in which we're going to dig out of this is to raise and spend money. This is going to be expensive. So, Montpelier Alive, uh, montpelieralive.org. They're working with the Montpelier Foundation to raise money for Montpelier businesses. Um, they've raised a lot of money. Uh, there's several other funds, the Vermont Community Foundation, a uh, fund that I'm on the advisory board of that Patty Comline and a bunch of others, State Treasurer Mike Pichak, that's a statewide fund. Um, and a lot of these businesses have GoFundMe campaigns and I guess the message is uh, give and give and give because, uh, it, you, the, the, as I said on a previous show, the alternative here is uh, a struggling and uh, non-vibrant downtown Montpelier. That's not good for anybody. You're right. You know, and on the give and give, I got to say, I'm the treasurer of the Montpelier Foundation too. If you want to add another thing, I might. So, <laughs> watching the donations and what's coming in is just. The, it's every level. It's grassroots. People are giving hugely. I mean, we're just under half a million dollars for the Montpelier Foundation side. Already based as of when I talked to Sarah Jarvis before this call, uh, she's the chair of the Montpelier Foundation. Um, and the goal is to get money. We're going to try to get checks to the merchants this week. Um, we've got the application process that closes for the first round at 10 today. All the apps we've got. Um, which are very simple application. Um, we, the goal is to get these checks cut and get checks into each business's hands as quickly as we can to help them with this. Meanwhile, uh, you get to go to the bank and uh, talk about a new mortgage. That's a big burden. I do. Yeah. Well, uh, we wish you luck. Uh, I'll see you on the street. And, uh, yes. Thank you for all the work you're doing. And boy, almost half a million dollars in that Montpelier Foundation fund. That's, that's good news. And that's not the Montpelier Alive. That's just the foundation side. Montpelier Alive has also generated funds. So yeah, that fund is, is really amazing. Okay. Tim, is there something I've forgotten? Is there anything else you want to get across to people, uh, as we clean out? I, I must say my takeaway from this is that it's two weeks in, and there's still basements that haven't been pumped, and there's still garbage in the streets. And I'm, I'm, we're not trying to blame anybody, but that must be really frustrating. It is. Yeah, yeah I, I, that's definitely what we've got to be talking about and working on. As we've got to get beyond this place we're at, and, so that we can start feeling good about Montpelier and rebuild again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Tim Heaney. Uh, you're great to join us. We appreciate it. I know you got to get back to work, and uh, we'll see you on the street. You bet. Thanks, Kevin. Okay. Tim Heaney, landlord, property owner, uh, city councilman. I didn't know. He's treasurer of the Montpelier Foundation. God, that guy's got wearing a lot of hats. So if you see him on the street, uh, you know, shake his hand, give him a hug, or better yet, agree to contribute to the Montpelier Foundation. You can find them uh, online. We're back. I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We're talking about uh, the, the aftermath of the flood. I got to say that was an illuminating conversation with uh, city councilman and uh, landlord Tim Heaney. Uh, two weeks in, there's still garbage in the streets and people are getting 
people are losing their patience, and I suspect that we'll hear about that at the Montpelier City Council meeting this Wednesday night. Um, the it's pretty clear that, that there is a consensus that uh, we cannot use these basements anymore in downtown Montpelier. Uh, and I, the mechanicals that, for some unknown reason, were still down in those basements uh, have got to be moved up. It's pretty clear that some of the building that has been done since the 92 flood and since Irene, like the transit center, in downtown Montpelier on Taylor Street, uh, that did not flood, and uh, it was built high enough. So, you know, uh, Tim suggested maybe that we should be filling in some of these basements, literally pouring concrete into these basements and uh, just blocking them up. Um, the, the other suggestion is going to be, and I know that, I hope this doesn't sort of, devolve into the traditional debate between environmentalists and business owners, but, you know, about what to do about the north branch of the Winooski River. Uh, but that that water is going to go somewhere. And for the life of me, I can't understand why people are not uh, discussing getting consulting help from the Dutch. Uh, in the Netherlands, they have been uh, storing and pumping water for generations. They know how to do it. They live with us every day. Um, and it's just not uh, complete rocket science. There, There is science, uh, and it's doable. So, uh, But I, I think Vermont has – we have the ability to, to, to get this done. Um, we're just going to have to make changes. Um, just a reminder that on Wednesday uh, of this week – Bernie Sanders, Senator Peter Welch, and Congresswoman Rebecca Ballant, uh, along with state and federal officials, uh, will be holding a telephone town meeting on the flood. Um, that's Wednesday, July 26th at 7.30 p.m. It's a statewide telephone town meeting to provide information on the assistance available to individuals, homeowners, farms, displaced employees, and small businesses. Uh, I suspect they'll have... Uh, uh, officials from the governor's office, etc. Uh, you can go to Bernie's website um, and register and submit questions, and uh, you'll you'll be able to get on the line and get your questions answered. Um, here's an 800 number uh, to Senator Sanders' office: one eight hundred three three nine nine eight three four. If you need any help. Um, at the federal level, uh, if you're, as the governor has said, if you, even if you don't think you're going to need uh, money, but you have sustained some damage, uh, even if you don't think you've sustained any damage, call 211 because, or go to vermont.gov slash 211 uh, because what the governor said was this will help your neighbors. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, because y- Towns need to reach a certain threshold to qualify for government help. And every call allows, uh, you know, it's it's traditional politicking, right? The more calls you generate, the more pressure you're going to put on the federal government. And so call 211. Um, I thought that the Times-Argus did a great service uh, yesterday in 
giving us a history of what we call high water in Montpelier. It turns out that this town's been flooding for, oh, since about 1860. <laughs> since about 1830, actually. Since Judge Seth Putnam of Middlesex, uh, that he, when he came to town. And, uh, the Colonel, Colonel Davis, uh, Jacob Davis, when he cleared land on a, a knoll, which is uh, downtown Montpelier where, uh, today the Pavilion Hotel is, uh, that's the governor's office. Um, it's been flooding. I mean, I'm just looking at the paper here. It's been flooding ever since. And, uh, this is a, a really great history of, of, uh, of what uh, Montpelier has been through. Uh, the front page of the bridge, the Montpelier Bridge newspaper, um, comes to us with the headline that says Central Vermont is underwater. It is uh, with an amazing picture of uh, State Street and uh, and a kayaker uh, going, going through the water. Um, and ironically, it's right next to the headline... Uh, that the Vermont College of Fine Arts uh, has five buildings under contract with a new engineering school um, that is going to take over those buildings and use it for an undergraduate engineering program. There's a lot of talk out there about uh, <clears throat> somehow uh, using the Vermont College of Fine Arts uh, in in better ways. Uh, it we, we may have missed the boat here because – they're under contract with this new undergraduate engineering program, but boy, there, I must say, I was at the farmer's market, which was up on the College of Fine Arts green the other day. That was lovely. Uh, kids were playing, the sun was out, uh, there's no traffic, no danger, uh, plenty of room to run around. Um, and, uh, and then there's the Elks Club. The, the city of Montpelier owns uh, high above the river, uh, the, the Elks Club golf course and clubhouse. And it is right now in a process of figuring out what to do with it. Uh, I suspect that, uh, we're now looking at that as probably a fairly good purchase. Um, not that you would move downtown to an entire, you know, to a, a golf course a mile out, two miles outside of town. But it gives you some, uh, it gives you some options, gives you some ideas. I'm Kevin Ellis. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back with Julie Moore, the Secretary of Natural Resources. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, Hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. We are back, and it's Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis on WDEV, and we're really lucky right now because we have an expert on the line about all things flooding. Her name is Julie Moore, and she is the secretary of the Agency of Natural Resources, and she is the governor's top environmental advisor. Madam Secretary, welcome to the show. Good morning, Kevin. It's nice to be with you. So 
I'm <laughs> it's good to have you on as the A&R secretary, but it's especially good to have you on because of your past work in the private sector as an engineer who specializes in uh, water and flooding. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you did before you were the A&R secretary and what your expertise is? Sure. Uh, so by way of training, I'm a, a civil engineer um, and have a master's degree in uh, environmental engineering and water resources and uh, spent a considerable portion of my professional career working on issues related to stormwater management, um, including combined sewer overflows, as well as watershed planning and working uh, most recently before I came to ANR with Vermont farmers uh, looking at how conservation practices that they are deploying impact the quality of water running off of Vermont farms. Okay. So, so we have the right person on the phone here. Um, <laughs> and who, who also lives in central Vermont. So how is, how did your family fare in the flooding? So our, uh, pretty well, all things considered, uh, our septic system became saturated and I'm sure that's a, a set of circumstance familiar to many. So had to go a few days without really indoor running water while we waited for it to, to settle back down. And our, our road, um, the town road that serves our house had some fairly significant damage. Um, but the town has since been able to, to repair, uh, as of this weekend. So oh, great. Things are things are looking up. Okay, so let's stick with the what uh, here. You're a water resource expert. So, what exactly happened uh, two weeks ago? Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, it's a lot of rain. Is is really the the short answer? And this storm looked different um, to from from my perspective than than Tropical Storm Irene did. And Tropical Storm Irene. It was really high-intensity, short-duration rainfall, um, and so we saw a lot of erosion-related flooding, what we would call fluvial erosion hazards, so streams and rivers moving course um, and taking out roads, homes, bridges in the process. Uh, this event was a series of back-to-back -back significant rainfalls uh, that actually started uh, even prior to two weeks ago. Um, and as a result, we saw a lot more inundation flooding, uh, water rising up somewhat slowly um, and sticking around in places like Barrie and Mount Pillar. And we also saw uh, the, an incredible test um, of our three major flood control facilities in Middlesex at Wrightsville, um, in Waterbury, and at the East Barrie Dam uh, that really haven't been tested in the, in the way that they were during the storm event. Uh, since they were put in place following the 1927 flood. Yeah, and and it's not just central Vermont. And as a state, as the top state environmental official, you're responsible for the whole place. So, Londonderry, Dover, Wilmington, down there, uh, Richmond, Johnson. Uh, I mean, tell us what you've seen and so you know in the last two weeks across the state. Correct. Uh, so there have been some really significant effects that sort of as you build out maybe from the central Vermont region, um, moving back up the Winooski, looking at drinking water and wastewater um, treatment complications in places like Plainfield and Marshfield and Cabot, 
Uh, we do know, as you indicated, there were some really significant effects uh, in southern Vermont, particularly Ludlow um, is a community we've, we've been paying attention to and, and helping um, helping uh, assist them in, in bringing their wastewater system back online. And then more recently, uh, there was some fairly significant flooding in the Northeast Kingdom just a little over a week ago um, that didn't receive the same level of attention, I think, because of some of the response measures underway in central Vermont um, and in the southeastern portions of the state. But that has been really significant as well. And just to point out, A&R is also a major uh, dam owner and landowner in the state of Vermont. And we've had a, a number of our, our facilities that have been damaged during these storms, including fishing access areas, uh, the main road into one of the two conservation camps we operate during the summer at a time when it was, was full of campers, um, as well as having to evacuate a, a number of state parks and are, are still in the process of, of working to reopen uh, the last one of those that was closed in response to the flood events. If, if you want to ask, uh, Secretary Moore a question, by the way, I, so many people have questions, whether it's their basement, whether it's their road, whether it's their business, feel free to give us a call at 244-1777. Yeah, Madam Secretary, it's, it's, we're focusing on the basements in Montpelier and the garbage, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, we forget about kids at the conservation camp or state parks or all. I mean, this, this, this thing had a huge impact across the state. And we, some, at least I do tend to forget that because I'm kind of focused on Montpelier. What else happened out there? Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it, the, the, the totals associated with the storm are incredibly significant. I saw a from our, our watershed management team last week that their best estimate is that more phosphorus and sediment went down the Lamoille River as a result between July 11th and 16th of this year than in all of 2022. Um, so that is an incredible amount of uh, nutrients and sediment that has been pushed to Lake Champlain. Um, and one of the things we will be looking at is, is the impacts that that will have. We know that Lake Champlain levels are up uh, considerably as a result of these storms. Um, we go out and conduct uh, twice-weekly sampling throughout the, the summer season, and we'll be looking to see um, how these loads of, of nutrients and sediments are, are affecting Lake Champlain um, and use that to, to consider what may happen as a result in terms of algae blooms and other impacts. That, that Vermonters and the recreating public are always concerned about as well. Uh, okay, now, so that's what happened. Now the question becomes, and I, I, I know you're sitting in cabinet meetings and you're talking about the here and now, but how do you talk about the future in terms of future building? Uh, uh, it's pretty clear that this water is going to go where it's going to go. Uh, I'm no engineer, but shouldn't we be calling the Dutch and, and asking them how they, how they do it? Uh, uh, you know, th this water is going to flow through Montpelier. Isn't there a way that we can let it go and soak into the ground as opposed to battle it out every five, ten years or so? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, 
that's that's a series of questions that, that we are starting to ask. I, I think it's important to reflect on the fact that a number of the, the types of projects and measures that were put in place following Tropical Storm Irene um, really served us well in this flood event. Um, these are changes to how we size bridges and culverts. There's an incredible partnership between ANR and the transportation agency in looking at how we can identify the assets that are both um, sort of at the end of their useful life from a transportation perspective, but also um, may be a particular pinch point in the system and therefore more vulnerable when we see flood events like this. Um, and many of the structures that we replaced following Tropical Storm Irene withstood uh, the flood flows this time. And I think that's a tribute to that better planning. That said, there are thousands of miles of road network in the state of Vermont, um, and it takes time to work through the replacement of, of all of those assets. And so some of what we're, we've taken away from this is uh, it was a test of the, the work that we have been engaged in for the last decade. Um, the things that we have, have sized according to our new approach seem to have withstood these flood flows much, much better. Um, than infrastructure did previously, and so the, it reinforces the, the need to, to keep going. Um, it's also helped us identify some, some weak points. Um, again, a central Vermont uh, issue is that the, the Riceville facility is, is a, it's a passive dam. It means we don't have any ability to control how much water uh, spills through it. And so that's a, a knob that we wish we had had the ability to turn a little bit. Um, during this flood event and are going to start to undertake the studies in short order needed to see what modifications could be made to the facility to give us that different level of control going forward. It's a level of control we have in Waterbury, um, and it's really served us well over time. Could you uh, talk a little bit more in depth about that? Because I, I remember reading about uh, there was the spillway. It, it didn't seem that the dam was in danger of breaching, but if water continued to go over the spillway, downtown Montpelier was in trouble. Can you talk more about that so people can understand it from a lay uh, person's perspective? Sure. Um, it, it's essentially that there are, are three major outlets from that dam facility. One is the, the turbines that are operate, operated by the Washington Electric Co-op that they use to generate electricity. We then have a, a bypass um, that allows, ensures that a minimum amount of water is always in the North Branch to support uh, our aquatic communities. And then there's a, a high level bypass um, that's below the, the spillway elevation, the, the top of the dam, um, and allows water to be released as it starts to build up in, in Wrightsville. The issue is that there are no other knobs to be turned there. And so as water continues to go up, each one of those has a very um, specific amount of water it can pass through. It's not particularly adjustable. Um, and so during the, the storms two weeks ago, water level approached that top of the dam. And once it exceeds it, it it's going to go over in an in uncontrolled fashion. We have no ability to... Um, flow or reduce those flows based on concerns for what may happen in Mount Pillar. Um, nor did we have the ability to release slightly more water from the dam as we saw it start to creep up towards that spillway elevation uh, to try to prevent sort of an, an unmanaged flow um, from the Wrightsville facility. As I say, we, we have a lot more tools at our disposal in Waterbury, a series of gates that we can open and adjust 
um, as conditions demand to try to minimize really severe downstream impacts, um, but currently don't have those tools with the Wrightsville facility. Okay, I want to stick with dams just for a bit because I was in the North Branch Cafe uh, where they were giving away free food uh, to workers, and the owner said to me, we will not come back in business until they fix the North Branch of the Winooski. And you just illuminated for us what I think she's talking about, which is a series of gates or knobs, as you call them, so that you can better control what comes out of that reservoir and what doesn't during a storm. Yes. Yeah, we, I, I think this storm lay bare for us that there's a, a real need to, to, to look at um, kind of the operational control we have over that facility. Just so listeners are aware, the Agency of Natural Resources actually owns and operates uh, those three flood control facilities. The Army Corps of Engineers built them on behalf of the state, uh, but now we are, are responsible for their oversight. Um, and this really was the, the first um, truly significant test of all three of those facilities at once um, since they were constructed in, in 1927 and highlighted some, some areas where I think all of us would rest a little easier with, with some improvement. The, the team of dam safety engineers uh, within the Department of Environmental Conservation here at ANR, really did yeoman's work um, throughout the course of that storm, including having folks sleeping in their cars because they were concerned um, that if the worst came to pass, they wouldn't be able to access the facilities and, and continue to monitor their performance. So just um, I am truly grateful to, to that small uh, that small team that really uh, stewarded some incredibly important resources. And the, the flooding in Mount Pillar was um, overwhelming, dramatic, and heartbreaking and, and could have been so much worse absent those facilities. Just not to be uh, macabre about this, but I think it's important for people to know what was the worst-case scenario uh, with the north, north branch of the Winooski? What could have? I, I what what been, should we be facing here? Right. I mean, the the issue would be if if the dam started to overtop, and that was how water was leaving the facility. We no longer have any ability to to control or throttle that back. And so, if it had continued to rain as water was overtopping that facility, um, it becomes what we refer to as a, a run of river. So, any water reaching the reservoir would be leaving the reservoir, um, and it could be really significant. Right. Uh, okay. Now, let's tackle the future. Yes. Uh, this is going to be. Um, I, 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 here's my question that I have been posing the last few shows, which is: Do we, as Vermonters, have the capability within our current governmental system to do what's necessary to alleviate this problem in the future? I know you've been through. You know, arguments about climate change and are we doing enough? Uh, and it's, it, it does sometimes seem as if we get bogged down in, uh, traditional fights between environmentalists and, and builders. Uh, but it seems to me that something has to happen here. Do we need a special commission or, or, or do we have the capability to do it with the governmental system we have? Um, 
I guess I would start by saying I think it is happening, and I know that that's probably cold comfort to anyone who's in the position of having a home or a business that's been damaged or destroyed by this flood event. Um, but the fact of the matter is we are uh, taking important and really, frankly, significant steps to improve landscape-level resilience. I think the questions come in about the, the speed of, of those actions and whether they need to be accelerated. Um, right now, it's, it's sort of as we are uh, replacing different pieces of infrastructure, um, we are looking to make them the right size. We are seeking and pursuing strategic conservation opportunities, so looking at, at floodplains, riparian areas, river corridors, and trying to ensure that, that we're, we're protecting um, those pieces of green infrastructure where they exist and preventing future conflicts. And so, to me, it's less about um, the, the types of actions we're taking and maybe the, the pace of those actions and whether it needs to be accelerated. Um, the Global Warming Solutions Act, which was sort of that piece of climate legislation the legislature enacted about two and a half years ago, really emphasizes greenhouse gas emissions reductions um, and doesn't give the same level of, of um, attention or urgency maybe even, to, to my mind, to resilience and adaptation measures. And I, I think what this storm shows us is, is we have to be able to, to do both. Uh, frankly, Vermont could eliminate its greenhouse gas emissions, and events like this still have the very real potential to happen here, um, making those investments in resilience and adaptation even more important. So I promise to have the, uh, a, a, a supporter of the uh, emissions reduction piece on this show to respond, but it, it seems to me what you just said is – is a kind of no-brainer. I mean, Vermont's emissions are less than a, a, a piece of sand on the beach compared to the rest of the world. We need to be about adaptation and resilience, uh, and that is going to come with a heavy, heavy price tag. And I know you haven't quantified it, but can you talk about it a little bit? Yeah, um, certainly, and it, it is a significant price tag. I think it's important to keep in mind. It, it doesn't need to be an all-or-nothing proposition on, on greenhouse gas emissions, right. but it may mean we need to temper our approach there um, to free up potentially resources to, to do some of this resilience work. And it, it takes all sorts of forms, from flood-proofing existing buildings that we know are in um, challenging locations, uh, Again, looking at like downtown Mount Pillar and downtown Barry, um, protecting and, and additional conservation measures around areas, floodplain areas that still exist so that we can protect those resources. Uh, I think it's really interesting and worth noting. Otter Creek uh, rose the slowest, but also was the last river to, to drop below flood stage almost two weeks after the rain event. And that is by large part a reflection of the significant wetlands that that river still has access to, uh, some of which are conserved, some of which are farmland, and I'm sure those farmers are, are feeling the pinch of that this week. Um, but that does, goes a long way towards protecting communities like Middlebury that otherwise I think would have seen much more significant flooding. And so seeking out those opportunities elsewhere in the state for wetland protection and restoration is really important as well as continuing our work 
through our, our infrastructure and making sure as we're replacing bridges and culverts in particular, that we are sizing them um, for, with future floods in mind um, and not past standards. Uh, this seems crazy even just to say, but shouldn't we be banning any development on existing wetlands? I mean, I know you have a whole tier and a whole division that, that manages this permits, permits for wetlands and the protection of wetlands, but why would we ever build anything on a, on a, on a wetland or a field? I, I, you know, I know people, we need housing and I know we need growth, but uh, this is going to happen again. How do you balance the need for people, for us to build the housing we need with the need to have fields that can absorb the, and wetlands that can absorb this rain? Yeah, it really is about right project in the right place. Uh, our wetlands regulations are, are fairly stringent and really seek to avoid um, any construction that impacts wetlands or their buffers where there is any practicable alternative. Uh, sometimes there, there simply isn't, and, and we need to leave ourselves a little bit of room to move. Um, but each year, you know, we, we sort of keep tabs on the fact that we're permitting generally uh, less than 10, in many years, less than five acres of wetlands impact statewide, and at the same time have a really robust uh, wetlands restoration initiative that's being led by our Fish and Wildlife Department, uh, where on average most years we're now in a position of restoring anywhere from 300 to 500 acres of wetlands. So we are we are making gains um, and and need to continue to to make those sorts of gains because wetlands serve as such a sponge uh, during events like this. Right. Uh, climate. Uh, in 30 seconds uh, before we have to take a break, uh, what what's is this going to happen again and again? I mean, it's easy for us to say that, but I want to hear it from the expert. Sure. I'm, I mean, in general, we know that we are seeing more frequent, intense rainstorm events. Um, we also know that, that one of the effects of climate change on weather in this area of the country is, is something my dear friend Leslie and Dukudni Giroux, the state climatologist, refers to as stationarity, which is when a weather pattern sets up, it tends to stick. Um, and I look at this event as a, as a true example of stationarity. It, you know, it could be compared also to the drought-like conditions we experienced last July where whatever the weather set, whatever weather sets up, it just continues. Um, and this rain went unabated for, for several weeks, and we ended up with saturated ground conditions and the, the kinds of impacts that have been so devastating. Okay. I want to take one phone call, and then I want to ask you one question, which is on everybody's mind, of course, which is let's just dredge the rivers. But before we do that... Let's take a call from Rob in Heinsberg. Rob, you're on with Secretary Julie Moore. Go ahead. My my pleasure. Thank you. Um, so I I wanted to speak to a couple things. First is the, the you know the the great success of these uh, flood control dams that have um, were built you know after the 27 flood and and all of that. And yes, they yes they have limitations and uh, and all, but um, but they're doing a wonderful job, and, they're, and they and what it points me towards is the, the fact that we have all these existing structures and situations, and there are resources. Um, we have also the, the wetlands that are either 
have been developed uh, or saved and they're still in place, like you just mentioned about Middlebury. Heinsberg created mm-hmm. a new, um, you know, bought a area to create a new town forest, and which included a massive amount of what was uh, formerly uh, fields just upstream from the village, and it and it stores an incredible amount of water. So I, I think what people are looking for is say, well, what do we do now? Where do we do it? We have all this data available in insurance maps and the topo maps and 211 calls. People know where um, where there's been damage and historically and where there is damage this year, and um, know and they they know what the flows are now, and we can we can sort of predict where we might do more intervention more effectively in the short term and in the long term. Um, so I think I think what we need is a, a sort of a, a huge committee or and local committees. We need a local and a statewide group established to with guidance. For, so okay, this is what we're going to do over 50 years, and um, and here's the sequence that we're going to do it in. So people kind of have direction, and 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 the public knows that okay, this is kind of how we're going to get to solving this massive problem that we have and making the state more resilient over time. And uh, I think if you if it can get organized to, to happen, then you can get a huge amount of help from professionals. You know, I, I was trained as a civil engineer as well and uh, understand, the, understand the dynamics of this to some degree. And... Um, but also, I spent time as a selectman, and and understand that people need to have a sense that the government has an organized plan for getting to all this. So, Rob, so thank that's you. My diatribe. <laughs> thank you very uh, much, Julie. Yeah, I, I think your caller raises a number of important points. Uh, we do have increasingly good data and information about where these impacts are occurring and able to look at that information over time. Although this event had a, a statewide effect, um, we have had at least one uh, federally declared flood disaster in Vermont every year since Tropical Storm Irene. Um, most of them are much more localized uh, than what took place in early July. Um, but learning from that, seeing where those areas of particular impact are, and prioritizing our efforts to help reduce the flood effects is is an important uh, component of this this overall strategy. Uh, there's a lot of this work that that needs to take place at the local level um, around local zoning. We provide uh, from ANR, we provide technical assistance and support to communities, um, but ultimately uh, some of those decisions do rest at the local level as well. Uh, Julie, one question before we let you go. Everyone, especially those with no background in this area like you do, are saying to me, we should dredge these rivers. And it seems to me that we humans, uh, not only have we uh, lived in the wrong places and built in the wrong places for, for decades, that we have, uh, you know, straightened rivers so that they uh, flow faster and all that does is make things worse, but I'm not the expert you are. Can you address the issue of let's just dredge the rivers? 
Yeah, um, it, it's absolutely a, a, a reaction and a, a refrain we hear frequently following a, a major flood event. And, and the point you make is exactly right, that as we straighten and deepen our rivers, um, it's essentially turning them into to fire hoses. And at some point, they will break through, uh, whether that's by finding a piece of floodplain that they can still access or um, by carving another channel. A river has a, a fixed amount of energy. Um, and if we don't let it, it t use up and consume that energy by having meanders and asking it to roll large boulders and move woody debris, um, it ends up consuming that energy by eating the riverbanks or creating catastrophic flood conditions. That's not to say that, that dredging is an important tool to have in our toolbox, particularly in localized areas. Uh, at time, we'll see places where debris accumulates, significant debris accumulates around a bridge abutment or at the, the head of a culvert. That needs to be addressed in order to, to protect that, that particular piece of infrastructure, um, but it needs to be targeted and thoughtful because wholesale river dredging um, is unlikely to yield the outcome that I, I think people hope it will uh, and also can have some really uh, devastating effects for our fish and wildlife populations. And lastly, what do you what are you going to do the rest of today? Literally, I mean, these landowners, business owners, property owners, this is all they're thinking about in their waking hours. What is the what's a typical well, what is a post flood day look like in the in the life of the agency secretary? Sure. So I, um, in addition to, to some of the water related concerns that that we've discussed here today. Also within the, the purview of the Agency of Natural Resources is issues related to spills. Um, so fuel tanks that have tipped over in people's basements and, and other types of largely petroleum events. Uh, I get a situational brief every morning that covers uh, water, wastewater, dams. Uh, we also have some, some technical expertise when it comes to landslides, which has been an issue uh, in several locations around the state, right. Barry, Bridgewater. Um, and Cabot chief among them. Um, and so I'm getting an update from my team uh, and then coordinating with our the, the folks through Vermont Emergency Management as we start to shift from this emergency response to recovery and trying to make sure that the, the resources our communities and partners are going to need to put things back together um, are available to them. And as we're putting them back together, we're not just rebuilding what existed before, but making sure we're, we're um, using this moment to put in place more resilient systems that hopefully will serve us better uh, in the face of future extreme weather. That's a lot. We'll let you get to it. Julie Moore. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Julie Moore is the Secretary of the Agency of Natural Resources. She is the top environmental policy advisor to the governor, I suspect they're talking about 10 times a day. Again, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay. That's Julie Moore. Uh, hope you got your questions answered. I know I did. Uh, we learned a lot there. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back and open the phones. The number to call, 244-1777. And uh, the email is uh, vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Call me with your questions, concerns, and we will try to get them answered. And I'm Kevin Ellis. It's Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. It's Vermont Viewpoint. It's Kevin Ellis. It's WDEV. 
And we're back. Uh, we've learned a lot this morning. First, we talked to Tim Heaney, the uh, landlord and city councilor in Montpelier. Then we talked to Julie Moore, the Agency of Natural Resources Secretary, uh, top environmental advisor to the governor. Our phones are open, 802-244-1777. If you want to chat, ask a question, or make a comment, uh, our phones are open. Uh, we, we learned that our basements in downtown Montpelier now need to be off-limits. The mechanicals need to be removed from the basements and put above ground uh, out of harm's way. Uh, we learned that landlords like Tim Heaney, who he's been a successful landlord in Montpelier for a long, long time. In fact, his, you know, he grew up in the business. His parents uh, came before him. Uh, no stranger. He knows everybody. He knows where all the money is. He knows the politics. And he said, to us on the show that he's going to have to go to the bank and get a $2 million mortgage or more uh, to pay for the uh, cleanup of his buildings. You know, that's a lot. And that's a lot for him to take on. And I said to him, why not? Why not just go to Florida? You know, forget it. And he said something that surprised me. He said, look, this is who we are. Uh, why would I do that? And that says a lot about Tim Heaney, and it says a lot about Montpelier. Uh, I, I was frankly surprised to hear that. I, I did not hear in his voice sort of resignation, uh, I'm giving up. I also didn't hear that in the voice of James O'Hanlon, the owner of the Savoy Theater recently, when he <laughs> said to me that he said, I may be living in a parallel universe, but I think I can be open on Friday. This week, this coming week, Friday. And he said, I think I can show Barbie and uh, Oppen the Oppenheimer movie, which I'm, of course, desperate to see. Uh, that shocked me, too. The idea that the Savoy Theater in downtown Montpelier could open, whose basement was completely flooded, uh, could be somehow opened by Friday seems to me insane. But the grit and the optimism on the part of uh, James is uh, just, just uh, you know, it's it's it leaves my jaw open. Uh, I saw the owner of Bear Pond Books. I'll tell you, at, at a party, I'll tell you, if if this city is going to come back, it's going to be on the shoulders of people like them. Um, it's going to be on the. Uh, the the shoulders of people like the owner of uh, Bailey Road, the home goods and clothing store. Uh, her first name is Sarah. She, instead of giving up, here's what she did. She organized a, a, a party slash fundraiser slash sale of slightly damaged, uh, flood damaged uh, goods and uh, other inventory. And she had a party at... Uh, Caledonia Spirits down on uh, off Barry Street, uh, right next to the river, ironically. And um, and I walked in there, and we we pr promoted it on the show, and and I walked in there expecting to see a bunch of glum faces, and I I, I the place was a mob scene, and people were buying stuff off the rack. I bought a little blanket, seventy percent off, uh, for. Oh, I don't know. It's like 30 bucks. Uh, it had been damaged in the flood. It was an alpaca blanket. Uh, she had washed it. She had dried it and cleaned it. And 
it was in perfect shape. And uh, there were just fabulous deals. It was a win-win for everybody. Uh, people were getting great quality stuff. They were gathering as a community. Uh, and Sarah was moving inventory uh, and raising the money necessary to rebuild her store, which she is going to do. And uh, it's all these people that I'm mentioning that, uh, that Montpelier is going to recover on their shoulders. Now, it's going to take – those are the people sort of out front rebuilding their businesses. Uh, they rent space from landlords like Tim Heaney, uh, Jesse Jacobs, Steve Everett. There's all sorts of other landlords in town. Uh, you know, Tim's really good at this. Uh, they're going to, they're going to need a lot of help. And if you, if you can contribute to the Montpelier Foundation or the Montpelier Alive Fund, please do so. Uh, Google Montpelier Foundation, uh, on, online and, or go to the MontpelierAlive.org and give till it hurts, please. Uh, these business owners need your help. They need a, a influx of cash in the immediate time frame. So, you know, they do not get FEMA money. Okay. FEMA money goes to homeowners, uh, and it goes to reimburse state governments for the disaster relief that they're providing. It does not go to your local bookstore that they do not get FEMA money. So, we can all stop asking that question. The the money that will come to small businesses comes from the Small Business Administration, and that is in the form of loans. And if there's one thing I've learned in this flood, uh, helping downtown, it is that these business owners do not need loans. They are loaned out. They can't get another loan. They took out loans to get through COVID. Uh, they can't do any more. They cannot take on any more debt. So they need cash, and that cash can come in the form of the Montpelier Foundation grants, the Montpelier Alive Fund, uh, and uh, the $20 million fund that uh, the governor announced last week. That will be under the purview of Agency of Commerce Secretary Lindsey Curley. Uh, the details have yet to be announced, but I suspect uh, what, here's what's going to happen. The legislature has... Uh, an outfit called the Emergency Board, and that is a committee of legislators made up of the chairs of key uh, money committees. That's the House and Senate Appropriations Committee, uh, the House Ways and Means Committee, the Senate Finance Committee, uh, among others. And the chair of the Senate Finance Committee is uh, Washington Senator Ann Cummings from Montpelier. They will sit down and the governor is going to go to them and say, I need 20 million bucks. Um, and they're going to consider this and figure out how much money that they can, uh, put aside for this fund that's to tide over, uh, small businesses. So, uh, stay tuned, uh, for that. That's the governor's $20 million fund. Now that's statewide. Um, there's another statewide fund that I'm a part of, uh, called uh, Vermont Recovery 2023. You can go to vtrecovery2023.com. That, that's if you want to uh, donate statewide. But again, if you want to donate just to Montpelier, uh, go to the montpelieralive.org site. Um, again, statewide recovery, the Vermont Community Foundation 
has the Vermont Flood Response and Recovery Fund. That's vtfloodresponse.org. Okay, let's go to the phones. Uh, Catherine in Moortown, you are on the line. Welcome. Kevin, the saying is, don't give until it hurts. Give until it makes you feel good. <laughs> That's my comment. That's pretty good. What's the difference, Catherine? The difference is a big difference. If you give it till it hurts, chances are you won't give it all. Oh, that's a great point. And if you give right off the top and don't think about it and it makes you feel good, makes everybody feel good. There you go. You always, it all, what goes around comes around. There you go. Yeah. Wisdom, wisdom from Moortown. Yes, you're right. From the old sage. (laughs) (laughs) Catherine, how long you lived in Moortown? Oh, God. You live right on the Mad River. No, right on the Winooski. Oh, you live up there. Up. And you feel like you've been punched in the stomach. How did you fare in this uh, flood? Terrible, terrible. The corn crop is gone totally. All mud. Oh. Yep, and the hay. Yep, as you go down Route 2, you you could see. Yeah, I've been down. Da- look pretty. I've been down a lot. Are you a farmer, Catherine? Yes. Yep. Yep. I'm a retired farmer now. My grandson farms it. He and his mom, Davis and- Wesley Davis. Yep. So what are they going to do? Um, I think catch their breath. Yep. Yep. When we had a flood in '73, it was around July 3rd or 4th. We replanted. But this year you can't because it's all mud and trash. I mean, it'll take quite a long time to just pick the trash. Right. And it'll be flat tires and flat tires and flat tires, you know, of the equipment that's trying to work in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. it's pretty pretty sad, but you have to keep your chin up and keep moving. Well, with with calls like you, it, it helps, I'll tell you. So thank you for calling. All right. Thank you for your program. Okay. Thanks, Catherine. Michael from Waitsfield, you're on the line. I got about 30 seconds. How are you? Michael from Waitsfield, are you with us? Oh, he's calling in on another line. Now I'm running out of time. This is great. Um, boy, isn't isn't it great hearing from someone like Catherine in Moortown, retired farmer whose kids have taken it over? And they've suffered and they've succeeded and uh, they're going to stay at it. It is, uh, that is really, it's always good to get a call from Catherine. We've got to go. That's our show for today. If you want to be a guest on the show, send us a suggestion for a topic, drop us a line. The show becomes a podcast at WDEVradio.com. And of course, you can always listen live on your radio. I'm here Wednesdays and Fridays. I know today's Monday. I had to come in and straighten everybody out. And uh, I think we got things, you know, I think we got things fixed up. You can find me at KevinKLS.com where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter and uh, check out my podcast called Conflict of Interest, which examines the issues we deal with on the show. I'll be back Wednesday. We're going to keep talking about what we do next. I've got Greg Gossens, the Montpelier architect, coming on to talk about how we build back better As always, we'll talk some politics in the country, my garden, now my basement, and everything else on my mind and yours. 
Our show is produced by me, engineered and made possible by Pete. He's new behind the window. And all the folks at WDEV, as always, thanks for joining us. Uh, if you are a victim of a flood, call 211. Just report the damage. It helps everybody out. Um, that's what the governor's urging us to do. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we'll see you right back here on Wednesday on Vermont Viewpoint, live radio on the friendly pioneer WDEV.